Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Champagne is a celebratory drink, uh, effervescent, a drink to toast with. But sparkling wine was once the scourge of winemakers. The famous Dom Perignon was actually hired by a French winemaker to prevent wine from bubbling. So how did we get here? And what makes champagne champagne? Champagne is a type of sparkling wine produced in the Champagne region of France under particular circumstances. But okay, hold up. What's a sparkling wine? Does it contain glitter? Uh, No, it's a wine that's carbonated, meaning it contains dissolved carbon dioxide gas, which bubbles out of the liquid unless it's kept under pressure. Uh, That's why you might burp when you drink bubbly or beer or soda. Your stomach is pressurized, but not pressurized enough to keep the carbon dioxide dissolved, so it escapes as a gas. Other sparkling wines shouldn't technically be called champagne, and in some countries, legally, they cannot be called champagne, though that's really for labeling and marketing folks, not for dinner conversations. And the Champagne region takes this seriously because it's their livelihood. 
So what makes a real champagne? A lot of things, actually. It's all laid out in the Appellation d'Origine Controlée, regulations, and uh, apologies for my French. It's, it's a set of rules created by the French National Institute of Origin and Quality, which is a regulatory group in France meant to control the quality and branding of agricultural products like cheeses and wines. For champagne to be labeled champagne, it must be produced from the growing of the grapes to the processing of the wine in the Champagne region, and from one or a blend of three main grape varieties, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. There are all kinds of rules about how you handle the grapes, how they can be planted and pruned, how much fruit can be produced per hectare, how much juice can be obtained from the fruit by weight, and how it can be fermented and stored. The process of making the wine is called the méthode champenois, or traditionnelle, or classique. First, you produce bottles of still wine that have undergone a primary fermentation. That means that you take grape juice, called must in the industry, and add sugar and yeast to it. Yeast, of course, is a microscopic organism that, among other things, eats glucose and excretes carbon dioxide and ethanol. The carbon dioxide is released from the liquid as a gas, and the ethanol is the alcohol in the finished wine. When the pH level hits a certain point on the acid end of the scale, you strain out the yeast and bottle the wine. So how do you get the bubbles? That's done by creating a secondary fermentation inside each bottle by adding in a bit more yeast and sugar. Whereas the carbon dioxide was a byproduct in the primary fermentation, it's the whole point of the secondary fermentation. To keep it in the bottles, you seal them tightly with crown caps, uh, the kind that beer is sealed with. When the winemaker thinks it's good and sparkly, after a couple months at least, the caps are removed and the spent yeast, called the lees, is taken out in a process called riddling. Each bottle is then topped off with a bit more still wine and usually a bit more sugar to taste. This addition is called the dosage. Then, hefty corks are inserted and backed up by a wire cage cap to hold in the now highly pressurized contents. Champagnes run about five to seven atmospheres inside the bottle, aka five to seven times the pressure that we experience just hanging out around sea level. So being inside the bottle would be like diving 50 to 70 meters underwater, about 160 to 230 feet, which is deep. It's also about the same pressure as is in a semi-truck tire. The final product must then be aged for at least 15 months for a typical blended champagne, or at least three years for a single vintage champagne, and it must have a minimum alcohol content. But the very first sparkling wines probably didn't happen in the Champagne region, and were very probably accidents of unintentional secondary fermentation. The first historical record of sparkling wines being made on purpose was in 1662, when an English scientist named Christopher Merritt presented a paper to the Royal Society about how some wine humans of the time were adding sugar or molasses to finished wine barrels to create a second fermentation, and thus bubbles. Ciders were very popular in England at the time, and that's how they were made, but this wine thing was a curiosity. Before then, sparkling wine was an accident, and a dangerous accident— Legend and or history has it that the monk d'Ampernion was assigned to stop this le vin du diable, the devil's wine. The temperatures in the Champagne region get cold enough early enough that cellared bottled wine would stop fermenting in winter before the yeast was done doing its thing. And then when the weather warmed up again in the spring, the bottles would undergo a second fermentation, dramatically raising the pressure inside the bottles and making them go fizzy and then making them explode. And This was actually a weird and huge and scary problem. It was common to lose 4 to 10% of a cellar due to bursting, and 
bad warm fronts could lead to 30 to 40% of your bottles breaking, or entire cellars could be lost. A single bottle going off could start a chain reaction around the cellar. The workers had to wear heavy iron masks and padding for protection when they'd go down. A couple of technological innovations sorted this problem out. Glass quality and corkage. Let's talk glass quality. The British worked out how to make glass with super-hot, coal-fueled furnaces by 1623. Traditionally, charcoal had been the safer and cooler fuel of choice, but it was commonly produced from oak trees at the time, and King James I's navy needed oak for its ships. The higher temperatures and cosmetic but useful additions of iron and manganese to the glass made the bottles much stronger. This led to that boost in the popularity of sparkling ciders and Merritt's observance of on-purpose sparkling wines by 1662. The wire cap that hooks under the bottle's lip and secures the cork wouldn't come along until 1844. Until then, corks were held in with tied string to varying effect. The invention of the riddling process in the early 1800s by the Veuve Clicquot Champagne House also made sparkling wines quicker, easier, and thus less expensive to produce. As for why we toast with it, that's a little trickier, but it has to do with war. Because of the Champagne region's location, it's seen a lot of battles in its time. The tradition of French kings being coronated in the Champagne region started after a battle there in the 5th century CE, and the tradition of celebrating with Champagne's wines grew from there, alongside the science that made the drink possible. Today's episode was written by me and produced by Tyler Klang. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more on this and lots of other effervescent topics, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across, uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.